The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. All right, we're going to go ahead and call. Let me go ahead and just move this a little bit closer. We're going to go ahead and call the Committee of the Whole meeting uh, for February 1st, 2022 to order. Let the record reflect a starting time of uh, 6 p.m. Uh, I do see that everybody, uh, we appreciate it, uh, has their masks on. Uh, so again, we appreciate the adherence to uh, the recommendations from the CDC as we work to keep people safe. Uh, with that being said, uh, Clerk Bolt, would you please take the roll? Councilmember Hussein. Present. Councilmember Wood. Here. Councilmember Spadafor. Present. Councilmember Spitzley. Here. Councilmember Garza. Here. Councilmember Jackson. Present. Councilmember Brown. Here. Seven members present. Fantastic. That brings us to agenda item number three, uh, which is public comment and agenda items. I do notice that we have some folks from the public in the gallery. Um, what we will do is we will allow for up to three minutes uh, in terms of public comment. Uh, we take public comment during Committee of the Whole uh, on a first come, first serve basis. We ask, obviously, uh, that you speak to the agenda items, the only agenda item. Uh, tonight being the interviews for the first ward appointment in terms of the vacancy. Um, and with that being said, I would encourage uh, folks to come down. I know we only have a few, but uh, I would encourage folks to come down and, and be part of the process. When we imagined uh, this process, and, and we really want to uh, thank the, the iteration of council from 2015, the charter is, is somewhat silent in terms of the process, uh, but we really wanted to uh, make this as public of a process as possible. Um, and we wanted to ensure that we offered an opportunity uh, to folks, uh, particularly in the first ward, but uh, folks in the city of Lansing in general, um, because decisions made, even from ward representatives, impact everybody. But we wanted to give people the opportunity um, to really wade in. Um, I will tell you that most of the correspondence we've received to date uh, has been written communication. Um, and I know I speak on behalf of all of council when I say uh, that that written correspondence certainly has made a difference. Um, for us, and, and certainly it's it's kind of an aggregate, um, obviously, of the interviews, um, of you know the the written pieces uh, that you all submitted, uh, but also the commentary from the public. And so, again, if you are in the public, we we certainly uh, encourage you to come down, uh, and and you can speak to us about the process if you'd like. Um, we we have certainly tried our best, but we we're open uh, to constructive criticism. Uh, we certainly um, invite you to speak to. Um, any number of the candidates and, and the potential of them actually being appointed to this position. So with that being said, come on down. Loretta Stanaway, and first I would like to say that in all the years I've been coming down here to council, and it's probably been at least 12, this was the best slate of candidates I can recall having before us, and I think that all of them had something they brought to the table and we have a, a good choice of three finalists to pick from. They all have a good set of skills. Uh, they all have obvious interest and passion for the city. I don't think you could go wrong with any one of those three choices. However, that being said, I think that if you look at the range of relevant skills and the experiences and the connections to people in the administration and uh, citywide management, uh, municipal management. If you look at uh, a Rolodex, if you will, um, Ben Dowd, I think, brings the most to the table and would have the best opportunity to hit the ground running. 
We have a lot of things coming up in the future of this city that are very vital and important and that his ward would need participation in as well as representation for the city as a whole. Um, so I would strongly encourage you to select Ben uh, Dowd for the position. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have others? Seeing none, that takes us to agenda item four, uh, discussion and action. Um, and again, we have um, a first ward council member finalist, this is, uh, the, the second round. Um, and I would concur uh, with everything uh, that Ms. Stanaway said during public comment. Um, last night we had, in, I just thought, an incredible process. Um, I, let me backtrack, not an incredible process, but we certainly had incredible candidates. Um, and it was, I actually spoke to a reporter uh, earlier today and I said, it was incredibly inspiring, but gut-wrenching as well, uh, because we knew that at some point we had to whittle that list down to three. Um, and so we appreciate uh, Caitlin Cavanaugh for being here tonight. We appreciate Brian Daniels for being here tonight. And we certainly appreciate uh, Mr. Benjamin Dowd uh, being here. What we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna actually uh, invite folks down again in alphabetical order. Uh, and we're gonna invite them down to the well, just, just like, like last, last night. night. But, but tonight, tonight we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go a little, little bit deeper. deeper. Um, and we want you all, again, the professionalism and poise as somebody that still gets nervous under these lights um, and, and being on city TV, I was incredibly um, impressed with, with the poise. So, but we're gonna have you come down, we're gonna delve a little bit deeper. Um, and because we want everybody to be involved in this process, we're gonna actually have respective members of the council uh, go through the seven questions. Um, and we want you to take your time. You guys have 30 minutes. Um, again, feel free to um, elaborate, uh, make sure that uh, everything that you want to say has been said. Um, and then what we, we will do at the end of um, the third interview is we will actually deliberate. I would um, certainly um, invite council members to um, discuss and, and to lobby a little bit, if you would. Um, and, and then what we'll do is we'll actually vote, uh, as we did last night, on a paper ballot. Uh, and before you, in your binder, very quickly, on the left-hand side, uh, in terms of your pocket, you have a resolution. And of course, the only thing that is missing in terms of this uh, resolution of appointment is the name that will be inserted uh, based on our vote. Uh, you have, again, um, a, a number of, let's see, you have a number of documents for each candidate. Your notes from yesterday, we want to thank uh, uh, our office manager, Sherry uh, Boak, for being incredibly thorough, but your notes from yesterday have actually been put back into your binders. Um, and then what you have is you actually have the questions that you'll be asking, um, so uh, there's no confusion, and then you have a section for notes, okay? Um, so with that being said, let's go ahead and bring down our first candidate, Caitlin Cavanaugh. All right, Caitlin, you know the routine. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. I can't tell you how much we appreciate you being here. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. Fantastic. I know I messed this up yesterday. There we uh, go. We got it. All right, fantastic. Um, so again, what we're going to do is we're going to actually just dive right into the questions, okay? Uh, and first up is Council Member Garza. All right, thank you, Council President. Good evening, Caitlin. Um, appreciate you being here, and good luck tonight. Thank you. So the first question is, what is the purpose of having ward and at-large council members? Sure, so the 
at-large council members represent the interests of the entire Lansing community as a whole. And the purpose of this is to really get a bird's eye perspective on some of the large picture things that the city of Lansing might need um, without getting concerned about the individual issues of a ward. Whereas the ward representatives, um, they're there to serve the specific needs of one of the four wards um, to, to which they've, they've been elected. And so the benefit there is because um, sometimes there are um, challenges that face one ward that a mother, another ward might not know about, um, that way they're, they're both represented. So by having a system in which there's both an at-large at, at member um, representing and also um, ward members representing, then we can get uh, the two benefits, both of that bird's eye perspective and also of the individual needs of the four wards in Lansing. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Jackson. Thank you, Mr. President. What have you done in the last few years to demonstrate your commitment to the city of Lansing? I show my um, commitment to the city of Lansing primarily through my volunteerism, which started uh, a month after I moved here. So I moved here in July 2016, and by August I was already volunteering um, at the animal shelter. Um, in 2019, I wanted to extend that volunteerism to the humans of Lansing, which, which was, was when, when I began, began my training, training as a court-appointed court special advocate, um, advocating for the best interests of children who had been abused and neglected. Uh, then in 2020, I learned that there was a need for poll workers because uh, many people who typically served as poll workers um, were in a high-risk category and did not feel comfortable in the pandemic. So I stepped up to fill that role. In 2020, I also wanted to take on a larger role in the 501c3 charity, the Steiner Corral, that I'd been a part of for a number of years. Um, and so this charity organizes uh, scholarships for students in the Lansing area who are interested in continuing their education in music. So I ran for vice president um, in 2020, and I've held that role um, and been on the board since then. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Brown. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, please discuss ways in which the city of Lansing and Lansing City Council can contribute to the creation of opportunities for our residents to have good education, employment, and health. Sure, so I wanna start by saying that those three are intrinsically linked. And so anytime we're talking about policy solutions, um, they, they, those issues depend on each other. However, for the ease of answering the question, I am gonna break them up. So I'll go one at a time. So I'll start with education. Um, I see three levels at which um, Lansing can invest in education. The first level is at the pre-K level by investing in school readiness programs, um, which are evidence-based and have been shown to reduce inequalities um, for marginalized communities. And in fact, I saw that the need-based vouchers for childcare was already part of the 2022-2023 budget priorities for the Committee on Equity, Diverse, Diversity, and Inclusion, which I strongly support. The next level would be at the K through 12 level, so for K through 12 schools. Obviously, financial investment here is key. So this means providing financial support for crumbling and dated school infrastructure, um, investing in physical school buildings that support learning, um, especially as we transition or try to transition out of the ongoing pandemic, which has really revealed a lot of the shortcomings in terms of, um, in terms of our K through 12 schools. However, beyond that financial investment in K through 12 schools, I think there 
there are other opportunities for city council. Um, for example, by establishing, bleh, establishing collaborative relationships with the Lansing School Board. Um, for example, this could be by forming coalitions to solve a particular problem or mutually inviting participation in the strategic planning process. The last um, kind of level of education that I see opportunities for Lansing to invest in is from a higher education perspective. Um, so by that I mean LCC, Lansing Community College. Community colleges um, combat inequality and build a strong local workforce. And so they really do form the cornerstone to um, a healthy city. And uh, I would like to use that to transition to employment. Okay, so we talked about education. Now I'll talk about employment. Um, I have three ideas about contributing to employment opportunities. The first is by offering uh, grants to small businesses, many of whom we know felt the worst impacts of the pandemic. Um, unfortunately, it was large established national chains that really were the ones who cashed in during the pandemic, leaving small businesses um, behind in some respect. And I know that city council before has done different types of grant making around small businesses, which I would support. The second is by investing in job skills training programs, specifically with an eye toward the future of work. So over the past decade or two, we've really seen a trend where the types of jobs, the sectors, the industries of jobs have really been changing, as many of them have become increasingly automated. And in fact, I feel that the pandemic has kind of sped up that trend. So I think this moment in time really provides us with an opportunity to rethink what sort of jobs and skills training we can provide to Lansing residents. And I would support such programs in uh, emerging sectors like cybersecurity um, and technology. And um, right now, I'm not sure that I see a lot of programs that are specifically designed to prepare Lansing residents for those new emerging markets. Um, and so I think this might be a good time to do so. Um, and then third is supporting families who would like to get back to work but are not able to because of childcare challenges, um, which I, I touched on before a little bit. Um, I'm sure this is maybe a familiar story to some people in this room that many families have had to have um, one, one parent leave the workforce. Disproportionately, this has been women, which is a real blow to the community when a certain um, subsection of the population is removed from the workforce. Um, and so again, I would support ways to um, to make sure that both parents or you know whatever guardians in the house are able to get back to work and are not stopped by doing so because of lack of childcare. Lastly, I'll talk about health. To me, uh, as a psychologist, health is both physical and mental. So I'll start by talking about physical health. Um, from a physical health perspective, I really feel that this is inextricably linked to challenges in the environment. Um, and so what I mean by that is, for example, um, efforts to reduce emissions, um, efforts to monitor and regulate PFAS, which is a huge problem in the mid-Michigan area, um, and to incentivize solar or electric, electric energy um, instead of other types of energy. Um, those are all ways that we can improve the health of all Lansing residents from a physical health perspective. From a mental health perspective, I would strongly support hiring more social workers and embedding them. I know there's been a lot of discussions about embedding police officer or embedding social workers into the police force, which I strongly support, but also embedding social workers into other areas of government um, and making sure that any type of program that Lansing residents are encountering all also provide an inroads, um, like, a, like an on-ramp um, to some sort of mental health counseling or social work in case that that's needed. Thank you. <clears throat> Councilwoman, okay, Spitzley, and she, thank you. Councilman Spadafort. 
Never mind. Just in the nick of time. All right, Councilwoman Smith. Oh, look at that. All right. As a Lansing. <laughs> and, you know, I've only been here seven years. So. As a Lansing City Council member, how do you see your role working with the administration, neighborhoods, and businesses, respectively? Sure. So I'll start by repeating something I said last night, which is my priority is to be a consensus builder. So you'll hear me say consensus building a lot as I talk about those three areas. And I know it might sound repetitive, but uh, truly that's, that's my approach. That's what I believe. So in terms of working with the administration, I think it's important to build consensus around fulfilling the primary duties of city council, things like balancing and passing the budget, drafting and enforcing legislation. However, I also feel that an important component of building consensus is also holding the administration to task to ensure that the best interests of the residents are being represented as we move toward those key duties of budgeting and, um, and legislation. In terms of working with neighborhoods, I think it's very important to build consensus with neighborhood activists who too often feel ignored by local government, which is a shame because really those are natural partners for, for city council. Um, oftentimes, neighborhood leaders are a really good point of synergy, which means making something you know, bigger than the sum of its parts. Um, there's a way that we can use their expertise on the, the neighborhood level. So although ward representatives might be really familiar with the needs of the ward, um, the level of the neighborhood is even smaller and more granular. And so oftentimes those uh, neighborhood leaders and activists have a better sense of on the ground of what the challenges are and sometimes can really come up with creative ways to solve problems that might not have occurred to council members on their own. In terms of working with businesses, I think it's important to, again, build consensus with local business leaders and business groups to make sure that the council is truly hearing and understanding what the challenges are. And I think so many of the challenges facing our businesses have shifted over the course of the pandemic. And so I feel it's very important now more than ever to communicate with um, local businesses and business groups to make sure that we understand what those challenges look like now in this work environment, rather than projecting kind of old ways of thinking or old ways of problem solving um, onto those businesses. I think this is especially important when considering um, small or new or struggling businesses, and especially businesses that are owned by marginalized groups. Thank you. Um, Councilman Spadaport. Thank you. Dr. Kavanaugh, um, what is the division of power between the city council, the city clerk, the legal department, and the administration, in your opinion? Sure. So the city council is the legislative branch. Um, we talked about that a bit last night. They decide which services to provide to the city and then also how to pay for them. Um, the clerk is really tasked with um, making sure that democracy is carried out in a way that is transparent. Um, they're also responsible for administering elections, business licenses, um, maintaining city documents and records, etc. Uh, the, the purpose of legal is to advise the city on legal matters. So from this perspective, the city of Lansing is the client. Um, so the city of Lansing is who is being represented. Um, and then the legal team represents the city in things like FOIA investigations or civil litigation, uh, any employment related matters, et cetera. And then the, the administration um, serves as the executive branch of local government. So they direct the, the structure of the administration. They 
they make appointments um, in terms of department heads and uh, other leaders. Um, and although the uh, city council is the one who makes legislation, the administration also has some vetoing power um, and the power of executive order. Thank you. Uh, council Member Wood, Vice President Wood. Uh, thank you, President Hussein. Uh, Caitlin, our next question is, as you turn from the downtown area, many neighborhoods are faced with deplorable infrastructures and corridors, vacant homes, and inadequate rental in Ingham County land bank owned properties. What is your idea on improving neighborhoods in the short term and in the long term? Yeah, so in the short term, um, I, I think that it's really important for um, kind of immediate infrastructure improvements, which often take a financial investment. Um, I was also really interested reading about the housing legal assistance for tenants, which I think is incredibly important um, and often gives um, a voice and a means for people who might not otherwise be able to get out of a bad situation in the short term. Um, I'll say that overall, I feel that it's very important to listen to the specific needs of those communities rather than projecting onto them um, what we feel might be best for them. Um, so I would say that listening to the communities is very important before moving on to long-term solutions. I would also say as a researcher, I strongly believe in evidence-based solutions. Um, and so I think that there needs to be a balance in terms of what is evidence-based and also what is coming from the community in terms of what they feel would be a long-term solution. Uh, that being said, here are some long-term solutions of my own. I know that here I'm doing the thing I said not to do, but uh, in the service of answering the question, um, I feel like this gives us some opportunities for more bang for our buck. So earlier I was talking about uh, LCC, Lansing Community College, and I think that that's a great partnership that the city could hold, for example, with LCC or other apprenticeship or skills training programs. So for example, if somebody is in a vocational program around uh, contracting or electrical work or plumbing, perhaps they for course credit or for an experiential learning credit could help fix up um, buildings that are blighted, um, or if there are uh, students, trainees, apprentices in a culinary program, for example, perhaps they, for a course or experiential credit, could work uh, in tandem with food pantries to deliver more immediate assistance to people who are food insecure. Um, another example of that kind of more bang for your buck is something that the University of Michigan Youth Violence Prevention uh, Center is doing, um, and what they found is that by converting um, some of those some of those spaces that are no longer um, uh, habitable into green spaces that both they're able to develop the neighborhood, but also they found a measurable impact on youth violence, which is uh, one of my top priorities. So I think that um, in following solutions that are both evidence-based and also directly responsive to the needs of the community, I think there are some opportunities to be creative in how we partner with other groups in Lansing in order to solve multiple problems at once. Thank you, and lastly, if appointed, what will your key priorities be and what are your ideas for moving those priorities forward? Yeah, so um, probably not a surprise that youth violence would be my key priority. And I wanna talk about two categories of ways to advance this priority. Uh, so basically two types of solutions to advance that, that priority. The first are proactive. Um, 
solutions. So uh, we know from research that lifting communities out of poverty and improving conditions for families is the number one way to reduce, reduce violence. Um, and again, a lot of the things that we've talked about here today and a lot of the things that council is already doing are directed toward lifting families out of poverty. But I do want to make sure that I mention that because it's one of the most important uh, proactive steps that a community can take. Um, I would also support um, making pro-social activities for youth in their free time. Um, as I discussed uh, previously, part of this can be done by redesigning spaces uh, that currently don't have, um, don't have a productive use, um, which, is, which is what they're doing at the University of Michigan. Um, I also know both from my own research, uh, kind of globally in terms of what we know about juvenile justice, but from the research that I've done with Ingham County, so I know specifically in this community, one thing that's lacking um, and one thing that's really predictive of uh, reducing recidivism among um, repeat offenders is making sure that there are strong adult bonds. So this can be done in two ways. Um, an adult bond can be somebody who is within the home or outside the home. So for um, to foster strong adult bonds outside the home, these could be mentorship programs, which I know City Council um, invested in over the summer um, in conversation with the mayor. Um, but inside the home, a lot of times parents don't have the resources in order to parent appropriately. So for example, if there are other stress stressors on the family, um, such as um, financial concerns, health concerns, uh, childcare concerns, et cetera, what that creates is a situation for the child that lacks consistency, lacks stability, et cetera. And we know that that's one of the strongest predictors of um, that, that youth will be, become engaged in crime. Uh, and so by addressing um, some of those issues within the home, uh, that's, that's another route to kind of proactively address youth violence. Um, I've been talking about youth violence broadly, but in Lansing specifically, there's been an issue with youth gun violence. And so one way to address the gun violence is by making sure that guns don't get into the hands of children in the first place. Uh, so this has less to do with theories on delinquency and more to do with how do we make sure that guns, particularly illegal guns, don't get into the hands of children. Um, finally, I'd like to say, finally on the proactive side, I'd like to say that um, I received a certification in restorative justice in 2017, and I truly feel that restorative justice is um, one of the ways forward um, for Lansing in terms of reducing, reducing youth violence. If you're not familiar with what restorative justice is, uh, it can, it's kind of an umbrella term actually, it can take a lot of forms, but it involves um, two parties who are at odds in some way, coming together with a mediator who is trained in order to uh, come to a consensus. And sometimes that involves just the two parties that are in conflict, but sometimes it involves their close friends and family as well, so that they can talk about, well, here's the impact on what you did to me, but also to my friends or also to my family. Um, and it's a way to build empathy and build consensus. Uh, restorative justice has been used across the country in a number of juvenile justice contexts, but I really think that we can be creative here. And um, if city council were open to funding certification for restorative justice, we could embed trained folks um, in restorative justice to many different levels, whether that's in our schools to solve conflicts in schools, uh, in the Department of Probation, um, in the police department, in social services, et cetera, to make sure that there is somebody on hand who is kind of trained in this, um, this specific type of mediation that we know is effective um, for, for kind of uh, stopping violence before it starts and finding another resolution. Second category of ways to address youth violence is uh, reactive. So this is after youth violence has occurred. 
I wanna stress here two things. First of all, it's very important that any reactive solutions be evidence-based. Uh, I think that a common mistake that some city government could sometimes make is by just saying, okay, we have an emergency, we've gotta figure out some program and okay, we're gonna apply it without thinking through whether or not that program is evidence-based and really evaluating the evidence for that program. Um, furthermore, it's incredibly important whenever you're doing any type of intervention to do what's called community norming. So community norming means if a program or um, an intervention was developed uh, somewhere else, that doesn't mean it's gonna work in this particular social context. So community norming means taking a program that's evidence-based that we know is good and then making sure that it's tailored to the needs of our specific community. This is something that I do often with um, the Ingham County 30th Circuit Court Family Division. Uh, we regularly engage in community norming, and so what this means is uh, we take an intervention. For example, um, we do a lot with risk assessments um, that we use the YLS CMI. It's a common risk assessment tool. It's used all over North America, but it wasn't developed with the city of Lansing in mind, right? And so what might work on the YLS in one place might not be perfectly tailored to Lansing. And so over the past several years, we've worked on tailoring this tool in order to be most effective and most responsive in the community. So from a reactive perspective, when we're talking about really complex issues like crime, it's important to take a program that's not only evidence-based, but making sure that then that program is tailored to the needs of Lansing. Finally, I think that um, oftentimes what we've seen in Lansing is retaliatory violence, um, so violence that feeds upon itself, and I think that's another great place for restorative justice. So restorative justice doesn't just have a role in terms of proactively preventing violence by um, tamping down conflict before it starts. It can also play a role in de-escalating a situation that has already become violent. Um, and so I think it's especially important to make sure that restorative justice practice is employed in the juvenile juvenile justice system as a reactive measure. Okay, so that's youth violence. I'm gonna, I know I used almost all my time on that. <laughs> Other priorities. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are very important to me. Uh, I hope that it's been reflected in my responses today that I see DEI as being baked into all aspects of work on the council. So regardless of the specific subcommittee or the specific um, proposal, I think it's very important that we leverage that opportunity to advance DEI goals as well. Um, however, I also know that specific attention to DEI is incredibly necessary. It's, it's important important to be um to be thoughtful and to be intentional about the way that, um, that we address DEI. Um, and I did notice that the Committee on Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion had established a budget priority to evaluate the MRJEA. Um, and I, I strongly support that. As I said, as a researcher, what I care about most of all is making sure that any intervention that we put into place is not just lip service, right? So if we're truly going to address uh, issues of DEI, it's very important that we make sure that the, the measures that we're taking to address it are actually working and we don't just get to rubber stamp it and say, okay, we, we put together this, this group and so now we get to move on. Um, lastly, I think this is probably also clear from some of my other answers today, um, my other main priority is pandemic recovery, and by that I mean both economic and educational. I truly feel that as a city uh, and as a society, we are in a pivotal moment in which we really need to evaluate um, how, our, how our economy works, what jobs look like, um, how our school system works, um, what are the areas of weaknesses um, across, across those 
those two areas. Um, and so I really feel that it's important to take a step back during this time and reevaluate, as I said, what those solutions look like and what those issues are. Because so much of um, what we used to know about how schools or how businesses work and what they need and solutions, uh, so much of that has changed. Um, and so I would also put it as a priority um, I know that the pandemic is ongoing, but you know I, I know we're all hopeful that uh, soon we can at least establish more of a balance. And so I would say that my last priority is making sure that that balance that we do establish as we come out of the pandemic, establish a new normal, is responsive to this, this new world that we live in um, and these new sets of challenges and needs and that we're not um, just going with the status quo of how we used to fix problems. All right, thank you. You covered a lot of ground and you somehow left yourself six minutes. Oh. Uh, and so you are looking at uh, potential future colleagues. Uh, and so if there is anything else you would like to leave us with um, that maybe the questions last night, the questions tonight did not necessarily bring out um, and you would like us to consider obviously before we vote later tonight, now is your time. Um. I, I think that I've said everything I'd like to say. Maybe I didn't always say it as eloquently as I could have, but um, as you said, I did cover a lot of ground. So um, I want to thank the council for this opportunity um, and for hearing from me. Uh, no matter what, I think that we're in great hands with any of the any of the candidates. And no matter what, I am here and committed to, to working with council in any way that I can in order to address some of the challenges that Lansing is facing. All right, we, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you being here. Okay, Great. thanks Thank so you. much and good luck. All right, that brings us to our next uh, candidate, Mr. Brian Daniels, come on down. How are we doing guys? Fantastic, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, I cannot possibly be as articulate as she just was. <laughs> she, was uh, she was good. Um, Brian, same thing. Um, again, you know, you were fantastic last night. We want you to be comfortable. Uh, we want you to have fun with this process. Um, we are going to uh, go through the questions just like you saw last time. Uh, if there is uh, time left toward the end, of course, we will uh, let you leave us with your last thoughts. Uh, and then we mm -hmm. will bring down the last candidate and then we will deliberate. Okay? All right. So with that being said, um, Councilman Garza. Thank you, Council President. Good evening, Mr. Daniels. Thanks for being here this evening. Good evening. And good luck. So first question, what is the purpose of having ward and at-large council members? Well, as I currently understand it, uh, we used a mixed election system in Lansing. So ward representatives, like I hope to become tonight, represent a geographical section of the city. Um, we are more attuned to the unique problems of our constituents, like crime levels, uh, lot development, trash, potholes, and the recreational programs within the ward. Uh, typically, uh, we are able to create more uh, voting participation because we are more interactive with our citizens on a daily basis. Uh, at the at-large seats are held, um, you know, they, they represent the population as a whole. Uh, like Kate said, they're more of a bird's eye view. Um, what I think is something that's happened historically with at-large seats that we don't have with the Lansing City Council is at-large seats have been used historically to actually decrease equity and inclusion. Uh, and so that's actually why Congress barred it. Um, yeah, that would be my answer. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Council Member Jackson. What have you done in the last few years to demonstrate your commitment to the city? Oh, I, I opened Empower Lansing on Michigan Avenue. Um, you know, being part of the revitalization of Michigan Avenue, 
has been important and exciting for me personally. Um, you know, we've seen more and more places opening up and there's a excitement to increase the facade along Mission Avenue as well. Um, you know, I also chose to continue to live in the first ward when my wife and I decided to move in together. Um, I chose to stay in the first ward because eventually I wanted to run for this seat. Uh, this isn't something that I chose to do a couple of weeks ago. I've been thinking about this for a couple of years now. Um, I also became a member of the Parks Board, um, you know, it, which has been really interesting and exciting because I've been able to be a part of the decision-making on what comes with the parks, get involved with the fit lots um, around the city, and hopefully we'll be able to bring more of those as well as uh, other opportunities to, to, again, engage more children in parks, which I think will help decrease the violence, but we can get that later. Um, uh, in the summer of 2020, I marched with the Citizen De Lansing during the protests from George Floyd. Uh, you know, I, I truly believe in transparency and accountability, and, you know, I'm going to continue to push for this uh, and more, more social workers within the LPD. But I, I just believe, like I said yesterday, I want to create and bring back a trust of local government. I want to be able, I want to be able to explain to people what's going on, why it's happening, and I just think that people in the first ward have felt not only unheard, but they just at a loss because of the lack of communication. And I want to, I want to fix that. Um, and the last thing is that in October of 2021, I was named uh, one of the 10 over the next 10 by the Lansing Regional Chamber of Commerce. Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is awarded to people that they feel are going to contribute a lot to the city of Lansing over the next decade. And I, I think that that uh, also shows, you know, my commitment to the city of Lansing. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be here as somebody who, uh, who grew up here. You know, I, I think that, like I said yesterday, bringing my son back here to grow up, um, I'm so excited with where the city's headed, and I think that you know right now is a really important time with everything that we have going on and what's coming to make sure that we uh, we all work together to get things done. Thank you, yes. Councilmember Brown. Thank you, Council President. Uh, please discuss ways in which the City of Lansing and Lansing City Council can contribute to the creation and opportunities for our residents to have good education, employment, and health? Well, honestly, there are, there are a few different things here. So uh, approving projects that actually benefit the city. Uh, I think one of the things that I've heard um, when, I, when I've reached out to places like, like the skilled trade unions um, is that the tax dollars that are created by these projects don't necessarily stay in the city. I want, I, I want to make sure that projects that are brought here are worked on by people who live here. And you know the, those tax dollars, in turn, would then add to the quality of the education that we'd be able to provide by being able to put more money into our schools and the infrastructure of the schools, hiring more teachers, and taking care of those teachers. Uh, I think that in a post-COVID world, we've seen teachers at, a, at a, an incredibly stressful level. I, the, uh, many teachers come to Empower on a day-to-day -day basis just to hit something because of all of the stresses they face now in a post-COVID world. And I think that one of the things that we can do is take better care of them, um, i.e. with salary, but also making sure that they're getting the, any therapy services that they may need on top of what the children would need. Um, and so I apologize to me, next. So with, uh, with employment, going back to, like I said, with those projects, making sure that, that people aren't being 
pulled in from outside areas to, to do projects in Lansing and making sure that we are reaching out at, to young kids and young adults um, over the age of 18 and teaching them and recruiting them into skilled trades. You know, I, I appreciate uh, what Kate was saying about teaching kids uh, computer skills, but the reality is we see a lot of contractors now unable to fulfill the jobs that exist because we don't have workers. Skilled trades is a lost art. Um, and being a union town, honestly, my father was a UAW vice president in 1753 uh, in the early 2000s. And, you know, it's always been important to see the people of Lansing build things. And I want to make sure that we give these kids these opportunities. When you, when you pull a kid into something uh, like, like uh, Local 333 or like carpentry, you give them, you give them a, a, little, a job skill they can live with, they can feed their family with. It gives them a reason to be off the streets. It gives them a reason to not get into trouble. It gives the people purpose. I think that the more purpose that we can create, the less issues we're gonna have overall. And with health, there's a few things. So, you know, as, as somebody who's spent the last 10 years devoting my life to people's health um, uh, and being out on these fit lots, you know, I wanna make sure that there's equitable opportunity for people to be able to work out. That's one of the reasons that I've, you know, I've run my business the way that I have, but also going out into schools and again, bringing back more physical education and while I understand that test scores matter to some, making sure that kids are moving and healthy and happy is, is also going to improve their overall test scores. Uh, also, something else that we can do to provide health would be to work with McLaren or Sparrow and bring, bring healthcare free to our most at-need people, making sure that they're taken care of, which will, down the road, lead to lower health costs for us overall. I want to make sure that people who don't have access to health care are getting that health care. Yeah, I believe that is everything. Yes, that is everything for that. Oh, I apologize. No, I lied to you. I'm so sorry. Um, so as far as health, I, wanna, I actually want to touch on this, and I will come back to it. Uh, one of the things that I think is really important, and like I, touched, I may have touched on yesterday, is with the Board and Water and Blight, they removed the pipes from the city that would poison people's water, but that has nothing to do with the homes in the first ward. When we have lead pipes and we have galvanized steel pipes in these houses, people are still drinking potentially poisonous water. And I think it's one of the things that we can do as a council with the upcoming infrastructure money, making sure that we create jobs with that money, but also making sure that we clean these houses up. That will also pull in more people to Lansing, which would increase the schools which would increase the budget and increase taxes, and it all really does come together. Um, I, I, can't, I can't stress enough how much I'm gonna come back to this. This will be one of my priorities, so I will answer that later, but I truly believe that um, if we wanna improve the health, then we gotta make sure people are drinking clean water. I live in the first ward. I live in a house in the first ward. I don't drink the first ward water because I don't know what the pipes in my house. So, yeah. All right, thank you. Uh, Council Member Spitz. Thank you, Mr. President. As a Lansing City Council member, how do you see your role working with the administration, neighborhoods, and businesses, respectively? Well, so uh, with the administration, I would look at myself as a colleague. Uh, a colleague, I'd like to help council to pass ordinances and uh, improve the city. You know, collaborate on projects that are going to not just help the first ward, but make sure that uh, we're all 
not just successful independent uh, individually but as a city i think that we um and we can do a lot of good if we're more focused on on working together and holding each other accountable for the things that we're saying and putting out there and and i think that you know one of those things would be uh pushing for more more eco solutions whether that be the solar lights like i talked about in the park yesterday i think that it's 2022 and you know we can we as a group could be working together to make more eco-friendly and accessible options available in lansing um i apologize for i have to look at this question here so uh, what was the next one the neighborhood so with the neighborhoods identifying and addressing problems you know i really think that it's really important to to get out and to knock on doors i need to i need to hear from the people um again i i don't think people in the first word have felt heard so uh, making myself available to them, whether they're, they're coming to my business or when, when I have to campaign over the next couple of years, I'll be knocking on doors and walking through the neighborhoods regardless. I want to meet with people. I think that getting with those neighborhoods, the neighborhood leaders, identifying neighborhood leaders that don't, if there aren't any, and then creating neighborhood coalitions uh, or building on the ones that currently exist and making sure that we're coming together to, to address the needs and uh, identify issues temporarily. I think that we can, we can be also proactive individually and within these neighborhoods if we're creating associations that are helping each other out. What I, one of the things that I love about you know, the East Side neighborhood is people will post that they need this and then someone will bring it to them. And I think that we should be doing that all over the ward. You know, with the snow tonight, I want to, you know, there are people who are preparing their snowblower and gas right now. Actually, Sam Klon's one of those people, someone that was here yesterday. He's planning to be out there to clear driveways and sidewalks for people who can't do it themselves. These are the things that, uh, as a neighborhood, I think, as the representative for the First Ward, I want to try to help neighborhoods grow in that respect where we're taking care of one another. I think that that's something that when I grew up in Lansing, uh, over in the Churchill Downs neighborhood, that's what I saw. My neighbor, Mr. Wilson, always did that. He always showed up for everybody. He was always shoveling. And I, I, I believe we should get back to that. We should do more of it. Um, and as a businesses, as a small business owner, I understand the struggles that we face in Lansing. I understand, I understand what we've seen, uh, what we've had to react to, the lack of help that we have had. And then the, the help that we have had is nice. It, it's, it's small and it, it's helpful. But what we really need is to make sure that smaller businesses are having opportunities that these larger businesses are having. I, I, I don't know what we can do as far as tax incentives, but I know that larger corporations are able to ask for an incredible amount of time uh, without tax incentives. And I would like to see if small businesses have that opportunity. I would like to see small businesses be able to get off the ground. I would like to see minority businesses get off the ground. I would like to see women-owned businesses get off the ground. We have, we have the space here. We have the empty buildings. Michigan Avenue has the empty buildings. Kalamazoo has the empty buildings. We should be filling those up. We should be giving people opportunities. We can create those grants to help people get off the ground. Um, and I want to be a part of doing that. I also, you know, as a member of the Lansing Regional Chamber of Commerce, I want to reach out to other businesses and make sure that they're getting the needs, their needs met and just champion the idea of all working together because I really think that that's how Lansing is going to grow. All right. We appreciate that response, Brian. Mm -hmm. uh, Council Member Spadafore. Daniel, thanks for being here. Um, yes. What is the division of power between the city council, the city clerk, the city legal department, and the administration, in your opinion? Well, I think that you know there are defined roles. 
Uh, everyone has their separate roles. So the, the council makes laws. Um, we also provide oversight of what's going on by, with the administration. The legal interprets laws and gives advice to the city the same way that you lean over to him to ask him a question. Um, with the clerk, they keep records. They also administer uh, the elections. And you know, I was somebody who uh, volunteered to guard one of the poll sites during the last election to make sure that everyone had the opportunity to uh, vote safely. I think that obviously elections have been under attack as of late and whatever that we can do to protect that and to support, you know, support the clerk and, and his endeavors I think is really important. Uh, and then the admin is the day-to-day -day function of the city. Mayor Shore's administration, who is, uh, you know, hiring city employees and running the city on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that was it. Um, was it. And Vice yes. President Wood. Uh, thank you, uh, President Hussein. Um, Brian, our next question is, um, as we turn from the downtown area, many neighborhoods are facing uh, the deteriorating infrastructure and corridors, vacant homes, inadequate rentals, and Ingham County Land Bank owned properties. What are your ideas on improving neighborhoods in the short term and in the long term? You know, I think I already answered it, but I, I um, you know, I, I'll, I think it comes down to infrastructure. We, we are gonna have a once in a generation windfall with the infrastructure money coming into the city, making sure that each ward gets their opportunity to, uh, to delegate that money to the proper places, I think is really important. I wanna make sure that we're able to fix up the houses that currently exist. Uh, we are bringing houses up to code, making sure that code is actually enforced. Um, I believe, like I said, about the drinking water and pipes, I think that we have to make sure that we're using that infrastructure money to solidify these houses for a long time. We're not gonna get this money again, so we have to do it right. That's one of the reasons that I reached out to the unions was to ask them if they could guarantee me that they would work with us to give a competitive rate to make sure work is done right. It's not, this can't, this can't be um, bringing in a contractor that has a blank truck or you know uh, trunk slammers as I believe it's called and you show up uh, blindly and do a job and then it has to come and get fixed. This has to get done right. So it's working with organizations in the city and the unions and skilled tradesmen and making sure that we're using that infrastructure money to create jobs, fix these houses. Um, you know, one thing Kate mentioned, uh, and I also want to bring up is that, you know, Joan Nelson told me about a program where at LCC, uh, the students were repairing a house over on the east side uh, for credit. And I don't see why we couldn't be doing that again. I also, you know, think that that's another way to be able to teach these kids long-term life skills. Um, I apologize. So the, the other thing, um, that I think is really important is to create more green spaces. So as someone on the parks board who's actually been uh, really vocal about having more trees in the city of Lansing, I think having more green spaces, like you know studies show, actually decreases crime. On top of that, I think that neighborhood beautification prog uh, programs would be a, a really great way to create you know, neighborhood cohesion. And uh, again, I, I know that I, I'm not by any means ever trying to bash uh, the Churchill Downs neighborhood, but how it looks now compared to 20 years ago is vastly different. 
And, and I think that the first ward is very much the same. There are, there are people who are working very hard to bring back uh, neighborhoods within the first ward, but overall, we've seen a decline. Everyone who grew up here, I don't think you could deny that. And so I think that it's really important to bring these neighborhoods together and work on these programs uh, and, and make small changes that are going to lead to overall neighborhood satisfaction. And I think that the more people that we, the, the happier people are with the neighborhoods, this is also going to draw more people to the city. Um, it's also going to keep people here when they're graduated from LCC and MSU and Davenport. That's the end of my answer. All right, thank you. If appointed, Mr. Daniels, what will your key priorities be? And what are your ideas for moving those priorities forward? So uh, honestly, the, the first one um, is uniting the ward. And when I say unite, I mean creating a space where everybody feels they can come and be heard. Um, I don't think that you can make two ideologies agree with each other, but you can give space for everybody to be heard and for us to find common ground within that. Respectful tolerance is something that's been lost. It's been lost within the city, it's been lost in our country. And uh, it's something that I've, I've preached for years now, that you don't have to agree with someone to coexist with them. You don't have to agree with someone to respect them. And I think that I wanna work on bringing that lack of respect and that expectation of respect back to the way that we talk to each other within the ward the way that we talk to each other on Facebook, the way that we talk about each other. I think that you can't control what someone says, but you can choose to take the higher road. You can choose to, to listen to, rather than just yell. And I think that that will create empathy and there's always an, an opportunity for changing or softening of views if you're actually listening as opposed to just yelling. Um, increasing safety, you know, everyone has mentioned gun violence and we have, there's, there's no doubt that it, this day, the city's never felt like this. Um, as, as a father of a son who lives in the first ward, uh, my, you know, my son is nine years old, and he's, uh, I want him to be able to play safely outside. You know, uh, unfortunately, we've lost people in this city who were not part of the gang violence. They were innocent bystanders, or they were in the car, and these are, these are situations that can't happen. Uh, I think that we have to reach out to these children. I think that there are already great organizations in place that want to help. And unfortunately, because of the division in our city, uh, we're unable to bridge these gaps and bring people together. And so I want to work on that. I, I'm saying, like in front of you, in front of everybody, that I want to be able to bridge that gap. We may not all agree on everything, but everyone wants to help these kids. We all might have different ideas of how we do this, but it can be done. Um, I think, you know, uh, I can never, as eloquently as Kate said it, talk about um, the re what research shows, but I know that as someone who was blown up at 19 years old and traumatized, that if you don't deal with it, it's only going to repeat. These traumas just continue to come out in other ways. There's, there's no way that you don't have this increase in violent crime and you don't see an increase in other crimes. You know, when it comes to Increasing safety, I think that mentorship's a big part of it. I think showing kids that, that look like me or darker than me, um, that you, don't, you have options. You know, again, I go back to skilled trades only because I think it's really important that you're giving these kids direction. I think that 
Um, mentorship is great, and you can tell a kid everything that they need to hear, but if you're not teaching them how to utilize tools to improve their lives, we're doing nothing. Um, we, we all had, uh, I know I only have eight minutes, I apologize, but we all had uh, people come into our schools when we were younger, and they would say these amazing things about not blowing out candles and, and, and you know, lifting each other up, but if you're not given the tools to do it, it doesn't matter. And I think, I think that I want to, like I said, I want to work with the organizations that already exist. I want to make sure that grant money can be given to organizations to, to bring people together. We might not agree on everything, but we all agree we all want to live here safely. We all want to know that our homes are safe. We all want to know that our jobs are safe. We all want to know that our kids are going to be safe. The idea of playing out to the streetlights come on is not the same as it used to be. It's never going to be. I'm not naive, but you don't have to have this. You can teach a kid how to talk to one another. You can teach a kid to say that they're hurting because they saw their friend killed. This isn't, this isn't something, this isn't science, honestly. It's just empathy and communication. We are, we are capable of doing this at our level. Uh, we are capable of working with organizations even if they don't agree with us at their level to make sure that we are helping who actually needs it. And again, giving them the tools to do so. Now, uniting the ward and giving that space to people, being able to bring people together uh, with respectful tolerance, giving these kids opportunities, making them safer, making our streets safer, making our businesses safer, will entice people to move back here not out, to, not out to DeWitt and, and the surrounding area. I want people to be in Lansing. People, a lot of people work here and they leave and they get on Cedar Street and they're gone. Or they get on Larch and they're gone. Or they get on Michigan Avenue and they're gone. And this can't be the case. We, we, we should be trying to uplift our community by, by enticing people to be here. And we can come up with those programs. I think that the more, the more that we're doing to, to uplift the facades of houses and to, to clean up our neighborhoods, we're gonna entice people to stay here, and when they stay here, they're gonna build their lives here the same way that we have. And that's how the city grows. That's how we move forward. I understand that a lot of damage has been done and things look a certain way, but they don't have to stay this way. Um, we, we saw with 2020 that we are capable as a city of coming together. So let's do it. Let's, let's actually show up for one another not just in a weekend, not just in a movement, in a moment, but continuously showing up for one another. Show me that you actually care. The people who are out there saying that they want to change things, show me that you want to change things. I'm showing you. I've, I've talked about this for two years that I want to be here. And I want to be here because I care. Clearly, I'm passionate. But more so, I know that things in order to get them done and not get stuck in the bureaucracy of reports and research and reports and research and, and panels, we have to actually be proactive. It's the same with the projects and, and development in the city. Let's be proactive in these things. Whew, I apologize, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> this, this is your time. You yep. how you want. I have five minutes. Um, yeah, and so, you know, maybe I should have said this earlier um, to Caitlin, this is not only an opportunity uh, toward the tail end of this thing to leave us your potential future colleagues uh, with some things to, to chew on before we vote tonight, uh, but also to, to, to leave the folks that are actually watching and tuning in, um, the folks that um, you are looking to represent. Um, and we understand the hierarchy around here. Um, and mm -hmm. so 
uh, really what you would be, uh, you know, if you were appointed, would be taking a demotion, so the people that you will work for. Um, is there anything uh, that you would like to leave any of us with, again, before uh, the decision is made later on tonight? Yeah. Um, again, like I said last night, my name is Brian Daniels. Um, I'm, I'm 35 years old. I have a son who's nine years old. My wife's name is Maggie. I own Empower Lansing. Uh, you may not know me. You may know somebody who does. I, I encourage you. I'm asking you if you need something, come find me. Let me see if I can help. I will definitely find a way to help. Um, you know, I want to say, uh, honestly, with four minutes left, I want to say uh, to my son, I want to show him this is what you can do. You can be a part of your city. The involvement that you can be, uh, the involvement you can have in your city comes from the passion that you have in your focus. And I want, I want to show that to, to other kids who grew up with, without knowing that. I never could have imagined that I'd be sitting here even with this opportunity tonight. Um, and, and I'm here because I worked very, very, very hard. And not only that, but I've made a point to build and foster relationships. The city of Lansing taught me that. When I moved to New York City, people thought I was weird because I was so nice. I'm so nice because I'm from Lansing, Michigan. So let's be nicer to each other. Let's figure this out. Um, and honestly, uh, like I said, I'm going to be knocking on your door. So I, I look forward to that opportunity. And you'll see me soon. I'm certain we Thank will. you, guys. Appreciate you. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. All right. So I am looking to um, our city attorneys. I'm looking to our colleagues on council, the uh, mayor's office. We are ahead of schedule. Can folks use five minutes. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually stand at ease for five minutes uh, so that we can use the restroom, things of that nature. Uh, and then, Mr. Dowd, we will get started uh, promptly at 7.05. Okay? Thank you. Okay. All right, folks, we're going to reconvene uh, the meeting and we are going to invite Mr. Dowd down. Come on down. How are you, sir? Hey, good evening. Doing well. How are you guys? We, I, I think we're doing well. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're winding down. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And we are so happy to see you. Um, and so you've seen the process play out. Okay. Yes. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, so, uh, we're going to start with Council Member Garza. Good evening, Mr. Dowd. Sorry. Thank you, Council President. Good evening, Mr. Dowd. So, in your perspective, what is the difference between ward and at-large council members? So, it, there's nothing new to, to kind of share of what we don't know, but I'll, I'll kind of tell you, uh, Obviously, defining the at-large as people that represent the entire city and, and the ward, the constituents that have voted you in in that particular area, right? Um, the, the ward members are a dedicated voice to that, that area and those single individual concerns that come up. And, and then they're, they're the direct correlation for residents in that area to get to council, right? So you've got, that is your, your dedicated person. At-large will help represent the greater good of the entire city along with the, the ward members. While they all ultimately represent the city, I think the important thing for me to keep in mind is that um, it's crucial that both at-large and ward reps work hand in hand together. So although there are, there are different representation or there, some is a larger, broader um, umbrella, it's so important that there's a unified method to get the job done and that all council members are here for the greater good of Lansing. 
Thank you so much. Council Member Jackson. Thank you, Mr. President. What have you done in the last few years to demonstrate your commitment to the city of Lansing? Thank you. So, um, as I talked about last night, I, uh, several different things, and I'll touch on those again tonight, along with some examples. Um, I mentioned that in 2019, I did attend the Lansing Citizens Academy held through the Neighborhoods uh, Department, Neighborhood Enrichment Department, um, which really gave me an opportunity to um, bring back skill set to my community that I was able to garner through the 12-week program and, and understanding all the different departments and how they work throughout the city. Um, much of my involvement within the city has been in the Old Town capacity, and I'd like to share a few of the things that I've been able to work with and, and represent and be a leader within the city in that capacity. Um, I've been able to work with several different departments already throughout the course of my time. A couple examples, um, a few years back, uh, Brett Krasinski from Parks and Rec called, and he said, Ben, I need a letter of support from Old Town and Old Town businesses. We want to get Turner Mini Park. Uh, which is the park on the corner of Chavez and Turner, also Lansing's smallest city park, in case you ever needed a fun fact. Um, they wanted to get that redone and need to get in front of the mayor to get under the budget. I said, not a problem. We got letters of support taken care of, and lo and behold, it was, it was adopted into the budget. Um, pandemic hit. That didn't happen right away, but we were proud to do ribbon cutting this last year um, and dedicate the new park to the Old Town area. So that was a great um, involvement there. Um, former parking director Chad Gamble, who was here for many, many years, and I got real tight and very close to the course of the past few years. Um, and even now working with interim director um, Tracy at the parking office um, has been part of my service to the people that I've been working with already. So this included things like um, email after email to make sure that we could get striping done on the streets so we, had no, we knew how many defined spaces there were on streets. Um, working with the new meter implementation that went out through the entire city, but being the voice for the people in Old Town when there were concerns. Um, the day that they rolled out, I actually went out and put one of the shirts on with all the, the parking folks and stood out there and by the kiosks and helped every visitor that came through how to learn how to use that kiosk and we rotated that out for a course of a week. Uh, but making sure that people understood our parking with, when they entered the city. And then working with the parking to really enhance Lot 56, which is the Cesar Chavez Plaza at the corner again of, of Chavez and Turner, to get that, uh, that lot resurfaced, redone. Now it's a beautiful space that, that we have um, been able to get taken care of there. Um, just yesterday, I was in a meeting, it was our first of a kind so far, um, where we pulled the, the uh, business organization leaders together throughout the city. So we had DLI, um, our new fellow who was working on the MLK South Lansing Corridor Improvement, myself, our new director for Old Town, and the representative from the Saginaw Oakland Commercial Association um, to get together and start talking about what do we do across city. Uh, and that wasn't, that was spurred of a need between all of us talking and saying, what are we doing? How are we, how are we not supporting each other? How are we supporting each other? And that is now going to be a monthly meeting that happens we hope to bring in the other corridor improvement authorities as they have representation to ensure that down Michigan Avenue, the, the things that are happening there get brought into that conversation. So really building my experience out across the entire, the, the entire city um, is, is already happening. Um, over the past uh, two years, uh, we were here several times. We worked very closely with downtown Lansing and Rio Town to 
and, and city attorney and council and everybody to get the um, the uh, social districts passed. So that was a huge deal, right? We came out of pandemic, and it took a lot of work. We had to get a lot of people involved to uh, get businesses on board, make sure we had the licensing taken care of. And it was really a response to our people in the community that had gone through a, um, a trivial time with their business to keep the doors open, not only our restaurant, business, and bars, but also the, the retail stores that benefit from somebody being able to walk out of dinner with a cocktail and walk down the street and be able to still entertain their business um, in that way. So that was the way I was able to collaborate. Um, I worked with the former Department of the Neighborhoods and Civil Civic Engagement Director Andy Crawford, now Delisa Fontaine, on several cleanup initiatives. Um, this last one was able to be actually cross uh, neighborhoods. So it, for Old Town, we, we registered or we, we signed up for that, got everything set. Um, and the Walnut neighborhood reached out and were like, hey, we need to do some stuff on our end. And I was like, well, let's share these resources. Let's make this a bigger community cleanup than we already had planned. Um, and that's not the first time. That's just an example of, of things that have happened throughout the course of time. And then working with the neighborhoods department, I've also been able to attend several neighborhood um, roundtable meetings where we were able to have conversations about what's happening in our neighborhoods, um, as well as uh, the walking Wednesdays that have happened that neighborhoods have the ability to do and showcase their, their individual neighborhoods, which is great because you can take those things, learn from that neighborhood, and bring it back to your individual community. Um, I mentioned yesterday that with my involvement with Suits in the City, we are training the entire LPD right now. Actually, I just had another session this afternoon, and we'll wrap that up tomorrow. But really, I was, I was instrumental in the development and execution of that training that is happening right now with the Lansing Police Department relative to topics uh, regarding the LGBTQ community. Um, one thing I didn't talk about, which is exciting, uh, there was a group that wanted to form a, a new nonprofit, and, and they were guided to my direction. So we were excited to form Lansing Pride, which will be the local organization that will be, the intent is to partner all of the um, siloed organizations within the LGBTQ community to bring them together and have one unified voice in Lansing. And they are the group that is going to be working on um, what, what is going to be known now as Lansing Pride um, that's happening right here in the capital city. So that's super exciting, um, and, and they are, waiting for just their certification of the 501c3 status, and that will be set. Um, and then a couple other things. I've really been a strong proponent advocate, advocating for housing resources throughout the community, um, primarily through, especially with, with COVID money that was flowing through MISHTA, we just did not see money moving quickly. We had needs on the ground, and we needed to move that. And so being able to have those conversations and really be an advocate for folks that needed things to happen was, was very important, and I was there to do that. And then lastly, um, within my, the businesses that I represent, um, as it came to COVID uh, relief, I was able to personally review and help people walk through the process of applying for grants during the times when they were the most desperate. We had so many businesses that probably would have closed their doors across the city if it was not for even in some cases a $10,000 uh, gap coverage to get them through to, to take care of their rent and their utilities until they could open their doors again. And without people in the community helping to support that, and I was able to do that, and I feel very, very humble that I had the experience to do that, and also the capability and the capacity in my in my life to do that for folks. Thank you, uh, Councilmember Brown. Thank you, President Hussein. Please discuss ways in which the City of Lansing and Lansing City Council can contribute uh, to the creation of opportunities for our residents to have good 
education, employment, and health. Absolutely. So I really think that the the way to approach this is through our neighborhoods, right? We have, we've got to have a good connection with our neighborhoods. And I would say the first thing is, is bringing back the neighborhood roundtables, working with the, the Department of Neighborhoods to do that. Um, but then also having a good representation from council there. As a ward representative, we should be in part of those meetings every time that they happen to really be, that's, that's our chance to have a connection to all those folks that are having those conversations. Um, it, it, it doesn't always go far if people get together and they have an, an opportunity to, to voice concerns or have dialogue and they walk away and there, nothing happens out of that if, if nobody can take that and move it. And I think that's a, a big part. Um, so that's for our residents. Um, when it comes to education, uh, we've got a, a, we have such a strong thing with our Lansing Promise. I think sometimes we, we forget about what a great uh, tool that is. And I think making sure that our residents really are honed in on that, right? That's an that's a opportunity to keep folks in our school system. And are we, are we focusing on that piece of it? And the group working behind that is doing a phenomenal job. It's a, it, in my day job, we are working we, we, on forming CSAs across the state, and Lansing is the, the place that people look to. So we are seen across the state as a leader in this, and we've got to capitalize on it. Um, we, that will be our driver in, in getting that education right into the community college level. We, we already have infrastructure set for, for a good educational system. Now it's building the trust in our school system, right? So we've got to ensure that we don't have people that, that pull their kids out of our schools. We, we've got to work to make sure that our schools are safe, that they're staffed, that we've got the right resources within our schools to, to effectively execute on the things that we're promising our children. Um, for businesses, uh, a, a business leader roundtable is, is kind of what I would, would introduce that meets monthly to have uh, uh, co deep conversations. Now, this does exist in some capacity in Lansing, but what I will tell you is it's not necessarily accessible to everybody. Right now, there is a roundtable that happens, and it brings city leaders in. It brings people from the um, administration. It brings people in from the state. It brings people from the colleges. But in most cases, you have to be a member of the Chamber of Commerce to attend that. So if you're, if you're a small business and you're not a member, where is your representation and where are those conversations happening? They're not. Like you, you either are in that group and you're part of that conversation, or you're just not part of that group. And I, I feel like that is a very inequitable um, balance of communication within our city. And I think that, that's an easy fix, right? We can have those same conversations without having to be invited through an, another channel. Um, it, it, just, it simply can't be the only way folks across our state or across our city get the same information. Um, and then lastly, for employment, equitable employment is so crucial. I think it starts from the city leading as example. It is important that the city not only go through training on equitable hiring practices, understanding our own um, personal biases as we go through, every person who hires an employee through the city should be trained on equitable hiring practices. Once we do that, then we can set that bar, right? We're, we're giving out large tax incentives for these companies to bring in jobs and bring in huge investment into the city, which is fantastic. But if we're not expecting them and following up with them and make sure they are hiring the people within our city and they are truly <laughs> providing the, the level of uh, investment in our city, and that it's equitable. Like We have people that need jobs, good jobs in our community. And if, if we don't start from the top and work our way down on what that looks like, then we're missing a, a huge part of what, what our businesses should be doing. We cannot hold our business community accountable 
for their decision making and job hiring if we're not doing it at, at city level. That's the answer to that. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Spitzel. Thank you, Mr. President. How are you doing? Um, as Lansing City Council Member, how do you see your role working with the administration, neighborhoods, and businesses, respectively? So the administration, let's start there. Uh, I think within council, we have to remember that, and I, I think we all know, or we all feel like we know, um, that being a yes person is not the way to go, right? Like we've got to, we've got to set an expectation of level of challenge. Um, we need to ask the tough questions and make sure that the administration um, is, is upholding their end of the bargain and, and that we are holding them accountable. It doesn't include just the mayor. It includes all of the departments. When we have a citizen within our community who comes to us with a concern, it is our duty at that point to ensure that we are asking questions and, and even some of the smallest things sometimes could lead to a bigger, uh, a bigger picture uh, issue. And we, if we think back and go, oh, shoot, should have listened to that first complaint, right? So it's, it's the working across lines and ensuring that we hold each other accountable within that um, part of the administration. With the neighborhoods, I mentioned it already, but the um, Department of Neighborhoods and Civic Engagement, I am a strong proponent. When the mayor started that, um, that department, it really was a game changer for this city. I will tell you, having been involved since the inception of that department, um, and really garnering a lot of the services that they provide, I sincerely feel for the, the areas of the city that do not have a neighborhood organization and are not able to take advantage of those resources. It's just unfortunate. So I think the first thing we do is we get with not only just in Ward 1, I, I think that, that would be obviously my concern would be the neighborhoods in Ward 1, uh, but across the city, but my, my steps would be identify those neighborhoods in Ward 1 who are not already actively engaging in some sort of a neighborhood association and allowing them to receive the services that fall under that department. Uh, these are, they're so, it, to even get the funding and the resources of that is a very simple process. The city has made it wonderful and working with that department is great. Um, the second thing is really getting to know and identify the city leaders that are already established. So within these neighborhood, the neighborhood leaders rather, within these neighborhoods we have people who have risen and are, are shining. You know, we think of uh, the North Town area, the Old Town area, the East Side community. All of these places have people who are doing this. Bringing those folks together with council and cross uh, collaborating is so important. And I think we're really missing out on that. And when we talk about how um, our neighborhoods work together, it doesn't need to be in silos. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest things I'd love to break down is the silos. And I'll address that a little later. Um, and then for businesses. So I would tell folks uh, that want to bring a business to Lansing, this is the, the ideal place to do it. And, and I am a, a transplant to Lansing seven years, right? And here's why. Um, I, when I moved here, I worked in banking. And I took a job here in the banking industry. And I was helping customers in other parts of the state that just simply did not have the resources that Lansing has. Things like the SBDC right here. If you want to start a business, we literally have resources like blocks away. And other folks of the state have to really search for those things. We just are not even, I'm not saying we're not. I feel like we could be taking more advantage of those things. So and, uh, really fighting for folks to take advantage of resources or making resources more well known, I think is, is probably the most important. So my goal would be to work with groups like SBDC, local banks, credit unions, 
Um, the Lansing Financial Empowerment Center, again, another city resource that we have right here that can really help develop business plans and work with our small businesses to ensure that they've got the resources that they need. Um, I'm fortunate when, with working in Old Town because I've got, um, we're a Main Street community. So what that means is it, downtown Lansing and Old Town are both Main Street communities. So we are funded through the, through the state that we get handed to us a list of all the resources available and all those things. But there are parts of this community who just don't have that. How are they getting that information? And to me, that's the biggest concern. How are these other smaller business areas getting the information about grants available and resources available? And how do they, how do they work through the process when they have true business concerns? Um, so I think with that, we need to, we need to um, really bring together, and I'll talk about that in my priority area because we're moving on time and I, I can get winded. So I'll end that question. Okay. Uh, Council Member Spadafore. Mr. Dow, thanks for being here tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. What, in your opinion, is the division of the power between the city council, the city clerk, the city office of city attorney, and the administration? Yeah, absolutely. So as we know, council is our advising board, if you will, our, our legislative body, um, overseeing pretty much anything that, that needs to happen within the city. Um, our clerk, we know, has a defined role in, his, in their responsibilities um, in, in election and in uh, collection of files um, and although each each of those four areas has a different role within the city um, they are so interconnected right and like we alluded to Brian said earlier you know you lean over and you you ask the attorney a question it's so interconnected um, I think in order for an example is you know the, the clerk is taking care of something for counsel might get the attorney involved to make sure that it's happening right they if we don't have all pieces involved in that, that's when something goes wrong. And then our attorney is obviously here to keep keep us on track with what really what our charter says. <laughs> if if we're doing this, does this make sense with with what the charter says we can do? And if it doesn't, well, nope. That's you're laughing, but <laughs> um, so I think it's it's essential that all all four of those those roles are intertwined to work together, and realistically, that everybody's holding each other accountable. Um, we're only as good as our, our weakest area. And so if we, if we can't work together effectively, then we're weaker. Fantastic. Um, Vice President Wood. Uh, thank you, President Hussein. Uh, ben, our next question is, as we turn from the downtown area, many neighborhoods are faced with uh, deteriorating infrastructure and corridors, vacant houses, inadequate rentals and Ingham County Land Bank owned properties. What are your ideas on improving the neighborhoods in the short term and in the long term? Thank you. So to start with, um, I think the, the short term, if a, if a specific neighborhood does not have an active group or board, um, then working with those areas for representation of those folks. So I mentioned earlier the business groups, right? Like that's important that businesses get that information out. But if there are not neighborhood groups, this leads back to the neighborhoods department and those resources. We need to, to really work with those, those um, areas to have a, a starting point to get that conversation going. I think that's super, super important. And then for those that do have a group already established, ensuring that there's good communication and a clear channel for issues or concerns or questions on up to the, to the um, council level. 
I will say significant strides have been made when it comes to the area of code enforcement, uh, but I, I also think we have a ways to go. Um, I have talked to property owners who are looking to invest dollars in their units or their, their buildings, and they run into oftentimes trivial issues when it comes to code enforcement or, or getting cleared for a project, um, or, or at least in what their minds appear to be trivial, right? This, that might not be the case. I am not a code person, and I will never pretend to be. Um, but you look, the same people look around at them, and they look at these houses that are falling down, and they say, I, I'm willing to put this money into this. Why does this not work? I think what we need to look at is our, what are our policies and our practices among, within the city to ensure that there's accessible um, opportunities for people to uh, bring houses up to code and to, to rehabilitate homes, um, and that it's encouraging for people to do that. We know that we have so many rental properties in this city, and so many of our landlords are absent landlords. Many of them don't even live in the city, so they don't care. And if that is the case, and we have homes that are not being taken care of, and, and we have renters who are living in conditions that are, let's be honest, a place we would not even want to call home, um, then, then using our power of code, finding them, making sure we're, we're putting it where the dollar hurts, or where, the, where it hurts is the dollar, right? That's going to eventually catch up, and that's going to make things happen. And I think we just need to be more aggressive in those aspects when we have a lack of um, regard for a property. When we have people that want to do better though, then we need to be there to work with them. And I think that's so important. So the, the, the last piece of that was talked about land bank. And I really think with this, it is relationship. So I mentioned yesterday that I, I attend every month the, the area uh, CED meetings, CED network, Community Economic Development Network. Every month I have the opportunity to talk to the land bank. We talk monthly about properties that are coming up, properties that are vacant, what happens to a development that wants to come in or, or what's going on across the city. What that's led for me is as people have come and talked to me about developments that want to happen around the Old Town area, and maybe they're landlocked. I, one in particular, landlocked over here, there's a land bank property on one side, a house on this side, and a land bank over here, I need to get all this. Who do I talk to? Well, then you start, you have the ability to have those conversations and bring those people together because I already know what's happening with that because I had that conversation last month with the land bank about these properties. So although they are, there are, they are sites that are issues, it is about continued relationship and conversation with the land bank to ensure that we move forward with beautifying our neighborhoods. Okay, thank you. Uh, if appointed, what will your key priorities be and what are your ideas for moving those priorities forward? Absolutely. So my number one, and we've, we all know the state our city is in, we've got a violence problem. We've got issues with, with things happening across our city. Um, it, it's, it's not a secret, and we need to address it. I am a firm believer in our, our uh, community policing program. So when, the, when Lansing brought out the community policing program, we made national news. We were leading the way in how we, how we policed our residents and our communities. And that meant putting people on the ground within our communities, and when we did that, we saw a reduction in crime. We saw a reduction in violence. We saw, if you take the crime map and you zoom it in in those times, from when there is not a CPO to when there is, it is, there's no disputing the efforts that that makes. I understand during, and I've had conversations, Chief Green and I talked a lot about this. I'm excited to talk to the new chief more about it. Um, and I understand when pandemic happened, that was a natural area we had to pull folks off of that assignment to put them on patrol. There were, there was things that needed to happen. Um, but 
as of right now, we have six positions that are not filled. So we have six pockets of this neighborhood that have been identified that need to have police force ingrained in their community, and we're just not, we're, it's just not happening, and it's been that way. Um, I was informed today through a conversation with an officer that uh, we do have two more being filled in three weeks, which is great, super excited about that, uh, but that still leaves four more open, and that's not even having conversations about other parts of the city that need to be identified. So I think if we want to talk about how we, how we police our community, how we build trust in the police department, and start getting in our communities and, and ending a habit or a, a, a cycle of violence, we've got to have people, we've got to have our police force respected for number one, and number two, they have to be visible on the ground and a part of our community. When they drive down the street and they know who the people are when a call comes in, that is a much better reaction to that encounter than an officer who has no idea about that person and rolls up on a call and it can immediately turn violent. We have got to, it worked. We, we bragged about it across the country. I just think we need to really put our, our investment back into our community police officers. Um, the other piece of that, we, under, I, we know we had our, our um, social worker resign, and we also have the ability to bring on additional social worker, at least at one at this point. Uh, we, we move that, we progress that. Now, I'm not saying just put a body on the ground because that doesn't do us any good, but we've got to put some pressure on, on, um, on the department to make sure that we are correctly policing the city, and, and that, will, that will start to organically open up doors for conversations throughout to, that will address these situations. The last thing I want to talk about is, um, priority would be small business support. So I am the product of a family who owned small businesses. I saw firsthand the sacrifices that go through to make sure that your business survives. Um, I mentioned earlier that we have so many resources in our community, we, we just truly do. Um, many times they're either unknown, hard to access, or perceived as not for me by many people in the business community. I'd recommend working with SBDC, MEDC, LEAP on community workshops that happen throughout and for our businesses who don't have the things handed to them. Additionally, I think we need to work on, uh, my proposed solution to this would be a, um, a business development committee. And what that means is we bring in business leaders throughout our community that help us identify what, the, what are the important things that businesses need and what are they, how do we attract and make sure that any small business that wants to open up has a level playing ground to be successful in Lansing. We want people to bring business here. That's not a question. And we're helping large businesses come. How do we make the small guy fit in? Small business is the backbone of any community. And if we don't look out for our small businesses, we will not have communities that thrive. All right, Mr. Dowd, this is your opportunity to leave us <laughs> uh, with your last thoughts. All right. Uh, as well as, and I think maybe even more importantly, uh, the folks in the first ward that uh, you hope to work with, obviously, as their uh, next council representative, but also work for. Yeah, for sure. All right, I got a minute and a half. So, um, so I, I know I, I want to make sure this is to, to you and to, to the ward. Um, that I, I talk a lot about my experience with Old Town because that's, that's relevant to me right now. And so that, that is what I know and that's what I've worked very hard in. Um, it, but I, I want people, folks to know that I am aware of the full ward. I am aware of, of many things that happen within the east side community, the north side community. I have worked across our ward, across other wards. I am very open to that and I, I, I think that, that needs to be said so folks don't just assume 
this guy only cares about old time because that's not true. That's just simply where I've put my efforts at this point that happen to be within the ward. Um, and then lastly, what I would say is, as alluded earlier, this is a good, good pit can to pool right here. Like I'm up to with some good, good folks here. Um, I think what I would, what I would say is when it comes to talking and walking, there are two things. There's talking about what you can do or what we should do. And then there's those of us who have really been walking all along. And I have um, definitely walked a lot of walk in the city. And I'm ready to continue, continue that walk throughout the entire ward. Fantastic. We appreciate the time. We are, you know, and it was actually uh, Mr. Dow that um, talked about the importance of legal and legal keeping us on track. Um, and as um, I changed up the wording just a little bit uh, with regard to the last question from Mr. Daniels, um, they did advise that I should bring uh, Mrs. Kavanaugh back up. Uh, so if you could come back up just very quickly. Uh, and here's what we're going to do. Um, so I, the, the wording became, yep, yeah, come on up. I'm sorry. Come on down to the well. I apologize. Now come on down and you can take a seat. You have an added opportunity here. Uh, and so, so the added language um, was, is there anything that you want to leave uh, with the people of the first ward that you're going to be not only working with, but more importantly, working for? Um, and so this is your opportunity. Uh, we'll give you maybe three minutes to address that. Uh, so you have the floor. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, I think that I would really just reiterate to, actually, I'll look at the camera. I think I just reiterate what I said earlier. I'm here to help, no matter in what capacity that takes. Um, I hope to help as your representative um, for the first ward. However, no matter what, please know that I am committed to, uh, to serving the community in whatever way that I am able to. Um, I do feel that I have good ideas, and I feel that I have a number of strengths that could improve the situation in Lansing. Um, if I don't know you yet, I'd love to get to know you. Um, and I look forward to working with you, whether as a neighbor, a representative, or in any other capacity. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Before we get to um, item 4B, the resolution, uh, just a couple things. Um, number one, I do want to um, cover really quickly, and, I, and I'm sure you guys have taken a look at the, the uh, packet, sorry. Um, but that we do have six letters of support uh, for Mr. Dowd. Uh, we do have five letters of support for Mr. Daniels. We did get a letter of support as well for uh, Mrs. Kavanaugh. I think that's incredibly important uh, to note on the record. In addition to obviously uh, the public comment that we heard tonight, um, calls that you may have received uh, and other forms of engagement. Um, that being said, we are actually going to amend the process just a little bit. So at the outset of this meeting, we talked about the paper ballot. And in discussions with um, both our city attorney as well as uh, Vice President Wood, um, what we would prefer to do uh, tonight, um, and we are certainly within our legal rights to do this, um, is to have kind of an open conversation. Um, as I said uh, earlier, feel free to um, uh, you know, suggest and, and lobby. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll actually entertain um, motions. Okay? And then at that point, what we're gonna do, because we want to absolutely be fully transparent as part of this process, we will actually take roll call votes, okay, tonight as part of this process. So, uh, without further ado, uh, is there anybody um, that would like to uh, address the process, the candidates, um, lobby, have at it? Uh, Mr. Jackson. Uh, I'll just start with the process. So, I appreciate the amendment, um, but it sounds like it would be a motion for a single person, and then 
we all vote. But if we stayed with the paper ballot, we could all do the paper ballot and then see who has the most first place votes because we're not doing a ranked choice. And then we can either agree that whoever gets the amount of first place votes would be who we vote on and then we can make a motion. I move whoever since they got the most first place votes. Yes or no? Because I just feel like if you put somebody first, then it's like, oh, I mean, maybe that's kind of my second guy. I mean, I don't know if, if I could wait and see, because if they get, what is it, four votes right away, then, I mean, I don't know. I guess that would be enough, but then it just seems like the paper ballot, we could just ensure that, you know, we got it like that. And, and this certainly is not a dictatorship. Are there other comments regarding that? I just had a uh, question. Councilman Spada. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President. Um, thank you. Is there, in the city attorney's opinion, is there a, a, an ability to do some sort of straw polling, or are we not able to do that? It sounds like that's what Councilmember Jackson is suggesting, a straw polling versus binding voting. Is there an ability to do some straw polling here versus binding votes? Is that something we can do? That sounds like some, something Councilmember Jackson suggested. I'd be interested in knowing if that, if we, you view that as a path forward. He, he's having a hard time hearing the question, so if you want to, just one yeah, more time. Fan. Oh yeah, Jim, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Uh, it sounds like that Councilmember Jackson is suggesting some sort of straw poll before we end up voting. Is that something that we can do with this process? I'd be interested in that answer. You decide the process. You just need four votes. There are seven members serving, and it's a majority of those serving, so it's four out of seven. You could do it either through debate and then motions. You could do it in writing and, you know, that whole process that you originally looked at. There's, there's no rule how that is done. You just need to get the four votes at some point. Okay. To that, I would be supportive of a straw poll if that's something Councilmember Jackson is interested in that would maybe not be a binding first vote, but see if there's a consensus among the council before we move forward with the resolution. Okay. Uh, Councilwoman Spitzel. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, I, I guess for me, I, I'm a little troubled by the straw polling because I, I, I just think it's, I don't know. I, it, we're going to vote and we're going to have a straw poll. And it, but and if we have a majority, it's not binding. That just it just seems like it's kind of a um, redundant type of thing. Having said that, the other thing that I'd like to just express some concern with is that, you know, the 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 discussion part. I mean, yesterday we voted, and we counted the votes and we moved on. I I am. I'm uncomfortable with changing that process in midstream to where now we're having this, this open discussion. Um, you know me, I'm a, I'm a process person. And so, um, you know, I, I will do whatever, you know, and I will go along with whatever the council says and the majority says, but I, I am uncomfortable with changing the process. Thank you. And that is fair. I thought I saw Council Member Spadafore's hand up. Yeah, I was just suggesting that if there is consensus in the first poll, then just move that resolution. If we get if we get no consensus there, then continue debate. Um, but Sherry went through the process of printing these papers out, so I feel terrible. <laughs> we if certainly we're don't want to. So what I'm hearing is we certainly don't want to waste ink. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Then. Um, and I, I think I'm seeing consensus. Is that correct? Okay. So what we'll do um, is, as we did yesterday, uh, we will first vote uh, using our paper ballots. Okay. Uh, we will then have 
uh, staff collect those. Uh, we will have those read into the record. Uh, we will tally, uh, and then we will, uh, assuming, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see if we get a majority, and if so, we will uh, move forward with the resolution. There was a question um, on whether or not you should sign it. Yes, please sign the, uh, the ballot. Councilwoman Spitzley. Thank you, Mr. President. And as I've just put in my um, vote, I, I, I wanted to thank all three of the candidates. Um, it is amazing the gifts all three of you bring to the table here. And as you were talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, she'd be good here. Oh my gosh, she'd be good here. So it, it you know, not picking one or the other in my mind, you know, was it doesn't mean that I can't see either one of you three in some role. I was just texting the mayor about a couple of you as we're sitting here because I think we don't want to miss this opportunity to, to fold you into uh, the city of Lansing where I think you guys would make some great um, contributions. And so I, I do want to say um, thank you. Um, I am overwhelmed. I've, I've been overwhelmed by the past two days of, of the candidates, but you three were, were, were just amazing and awesome. So thank you very much. Yes, Councilman Spadafore. Well, Sherry, in your tallying, I just wanted to uh, say a few things too. I really appreciated the, the conversation from all three candidates, all 11, but tonight the three candidates really did mention a chord that struck on equity the intersection among the different types of governing units we have here, whether that's the school district, the county, the state, and how those all work together to make lives better for our residents. And also just the core level of service that seems to be at the, at the bottom of each, each of your hearts. You don't show up to these things because they're fun. There's a lot of other ways to spend your Monday and Tuesday nights, I know that. Um, but I really appreciate everyone for stepping up and, and demonstrating that, but particularly the way that the remarks you, 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 you made this evening really encapsulated and I think reflected not only what's happening in the first ward, but really what's going on in our city at large. And, and I appreciate that from each, each and every one of you. And um, thank you for your continued service, um, regardless of how this evening turns out. Vice President Wood. Thank you, uh, President Hussein. Um, as my colleagues have said, I think um, this evening as well as last evening was an experience for council themselves um, and hearing new ideas, hearing new ways to look at things. Sometimes when you've sat in this position for a long time, um, you're not always um, listening as well as, in, as intently as you should. And so having um, the information that was brought to us and in a, a way that um, captivated us as we sat here. I saw a number of heads nodding up and down when different comments were made. Um, whoever is selected uh, will be a benefit to this council and to the city. Those that um, might not be elected, there is definitely opportunities for you to serve our community in other ways. And um, we all know that this position is moving into an election. And so there's that opportunity for you to be out there um, at doors doing some of the same thing that you did here 
in this uh, chamber, and that's communicating with the public. So I want to thank you for that, and thank you for um, helping us become better council members because of your interview process. Councilman Garza. Thank you, Council President. You know, I just really want to say thank you. Thank you guys for all being here, um, answering our questions, advocating for the city, because I know all of you are doing that on your own. And, uh, you know, you didn't make it easy for, for me, at least, tonight. I mean, you guys, these are all real solid candidates. A few, a few points stuck out to me more than others on, on one of the candidates. And, and I just encourage you, uh, the, the two that may not make it through this, I hope I see you on the November ballot. I, I encourage you to stay focused on our community and, uh, and keep advocating. So thanks for being here tonight, and uh, best of luck to all of you. All right. I think, I mean, yeah, I can't say it any better than uh, these folks. The only thing I think I'll add is um, just how incredibly proud I am uh, to be, you know, a part of this community, this Love Lansing team that we have. Um, and to, um, you know, to, I, I think through the process, and it's not just with these three individuals, but with the folks that we saw before us yesterday as well, I think it just reinforces the type of the passion and the commitment that folks have for our city um, and the talent uh, that is out there. Uh, and, and I thought you folks uh, spoke very eloquently tonight uh, tonight about bringing that talent together, um, leveraging that talent uh, to really make sure that, uh, you know, we, we help people ascend, we help people move forward. Um, and, and I would agree with Vice President Wood. I wrote down, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a teacher, so we beg, borrow, and steal. Um, I took a whole lot of your ideas down um, and would like to work with you all uh, in terms of bringing some of those things to fruition. Um, the only other thing I would say is that I do encourage um, everybody that was involved in this process to consider running for this position. Um, as somebody that has, has now run in two elections, um, and one I ran, I ran unopposed, and I thought that was horrifically bad um, for my ward, if I'm being frank. Um, easy for me, good for me, bad for my ward. You guys have an incredible opportunity in the first ward uh, to not only, and you've had this opportunity the last couple of days, to discuss the issues that are important um, in the first ward, but now you have the opportunity two years in a row uh, to make sure that your issues are front burner issues. Your issues are in the headlines. Um, the reporters are, you know, covering your issues. Um, you're using some of that, uh, some of that coverage and some of that energy um, to bring people together and to advocate and to problem solve. Um, and, and the first ward is, is certainly going to be in the spotlight the next couple of years. Uh, and so, if I was a citizen of the first ward or somebody that was looking to run uh, for this position in the first ward, I would be incredibly excited uh, in terms of what's to come. So again, I encourage um, everybody that's been a part of this process and others. Um, to seriously uh, consider running for that position. That being said, um, we do have our votes tallied, and so what we're going to have at this point uh, is Clerk Boak actually read those into the record. Councilmember Hussein, Benjamin Dowd. Councilmember Brown, Brian Daniels. Councilmember Council Spadafore, Brian Daniels. Councilmember Jackson, Caitlin Cavanaugh. Councilmember Spitzley, Brian Daniels. Councilmember Wood, Brian Daniels. And Councilmember Garza, Brian Daniels. That's five votes for Brian Daniels, one for Caitlin Kavanaugh, and one for Benjamin Dowd. Mr. Vice President. Mr. President. Oh. I was just going to move a resolution appointing Brian Daniels to the first word position. Thank you. City. There is a motion on the floor to appoint Mr. Brian Daniels onto the vacancy of first word council member. Is there further discussion? Hearing and seeing none. All those in favor? Actually, let's take a roll call. Let's do that. Councilmember Jackson. 
Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Could I'd like to start again because my mic wasn't on. Councilmember Jackson? Yes. Councilmember Garza? Yes. Councilmember Wood? Yes. Councilmember Hussein? Yes. Councilmember Brown? Yes. Councilmember Spitzley? Yes. Councilmember Spadafore? Yes. Motion carries. Mr. Daniels, congratulations. So what we are going to do, we actually have, before we adjourn, we have a special meeting uh, that has been called for 8 o'clock. We're still going to give folks five minutes. Um, the only agenda item, obviously, tonight is the uh, appointment of Mr. Brian Daniels to the vacancy of First Ward. And then what we'll actually do is we'll get him sworn in, and then we'll get folks home before the snow hits. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and stand. I'm sorry, we're going to go ahead and stand adjourned uh, at 7.56.